Welcome to Future Hindsight. I'm Mila Atmos. How do we achieve better health and healthcare for all? That's our question for today's guest on Future Hindsight, Phil Polakoff, MD. He's a physician with a distinguished career in public health and clinical medicine for over 35 years, the CEO and host of A Healthier We, a consulting professor at Stanford University of Medicine, and an affiliated scholar at the Bill Lane Center for the American West. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me on. You had a life-changing experience when your index fingers suddenly turned black and blue, you couldn't get good care right away, and were then inundated with invoices, insurance companies, and even a collection agency. How was that a key moment for you? Well, I've played many different roles in the health delivery field, from being a clinician to being an executive, as well as media. However, I never realized what it was like to be a patient, a consumer, and most importantly, a person all at the same time. So when this event occurred, I was a senior consultant for a major publicly traded corporation, traveling around the United States, helping different health systems with their delivery of care in a more futuristic manner. And all of a sudden, I wake up and I see my left index finger the size of a sausage. And I sought out treatment, and this time it was in Atlanta, and they had a little problem coming up with a diagnosis. So they gave me a steroid injection, and they gave me pills, and it sort of resolved a little bit. So I went to the physicians in the Bay Area that normally treated me, and they finally came up with a diagnosis. I had gout in my finger, not in my toe, in my finger. I learned that the drug they wanted to give me, colchicine, was now made into a proprietary drug. So the drug that normally cost 15 cents a pill Now it's $15 a pill. And then at the same time, I started to get the bills. And although the insurance company paid the providers for their care, it went to a different address. So I kept getting calls saying I didn't pay the bills. The whole issue of simplicity and elegance and cost of care came out over the last decade, the whole idea of the triple aim in healthcare. Better health, better care at a fair price. Tell us about that. I wasn't seeing that on a personal basis, so I wasn't getting better health. I had to mediate between the provider and the insurance companies to make it happen. It's not a unique story because I hear other people telling me their stories, which are similar, but it shows that we have a highly inefficient, ineffective, fragmented delivery system. You said that there is a fundamental overhaul of healthcare that is desperately needed, you propose three transformations, value, not volume, transparency, not opacity, and prevention, not cure. In an ideal world, how does this work? Let me give you one quote that resonates with me, and hopefully it resonates with your people who listen to this great show. In these times, when I is replaced with we, even illness becomes wellness. We can only work towards a healthier America together. So for me, that's a powerful quote simple and elegant. We have to look at the issue not in a red and blue manner, which is the political spectrum we live in. We have to look at it from a past to a future. And we have to see where our strengths are and where our weaknesses are and look for a common language where people start to discuss it amongst themselves, regardless of what their title is. So the change can not only occur at the CEO of a health system. It has to bring all people in And we have to work through and have to get more pilot projects through. 
So I would give a significant amount of credit to the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation that's put forth their culture of health. They're trying to show what you can do to bring people in a more collective way, learn from the experiences, good and bad. Health is not only about illness, it's about social determinants, issues like housing, transportation, education. It's also looked at about your environment that you live in. What's the impact of climate change? And lastly, what's your personal involvement in your health and health status? Are you engaged in enhancing the quality of your life? Or are you expecting someone else to do it for you? Right. So it sounds like you're talking about um, systems, sort of the structure that we have in our society and also our personal responsibility and all this and taking good care of ourselves. I have a question about the pilot program idea that you mentioned in the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. What are the pilot programs that you've seen that work really well? What are they doing right? And what can we learn from them? So let me give you an example. One in Cuba, New Mexico. It's mainly a poor Hispanic town where the people in the community came together and started to promote a different way of looking at the health of their citizens. They realized that the people weren't eating well, weren't exercising well, and did not have community care. So they started to promote health care by putting in paths to walk on and bicycle paths. They changed the food to be much more healthy, more vegetables and more fruit. And then they enhanced the role of the community health workers to get out there and do something very positive. In the rural West, you have other issues. You have transportation. You can be three hours away from where the care is given. Okay? How do you get there? You have hospitals that are closing. You have major issues, high rate of opioid addiction, high suicide rate, almost no mental health care given. And it's interesting, most people don't know, there's no broadband technology. So you can't use the internet to communicate with the people on health promotion because they don't have access in rural America to number one, two, and three issues, economy, jobs, and substance abuse. Health fits into that. We could have much better health with more emphasis on prevention. Mm -hmm. We don't get reimbursed if we provide preventive services. We get paid significantly for illness services. It's not as high up on the right. priority Right, there's no incentive list. for... No incentive to do that. For prevention. Two, we have underutilization, misutilization, overutilization of what is available. Billions of dollars in fraud are occurring with Medicare now. We really have a system that there's no overarching control. We have to make sure we know what we're paying for. Three, we have provider inadequacies, both in skill sets and in numbers in many places. The issue is how do we train more people who will serve in either the blighted urban areas or rural areas? People generally don't want to practice there. What have you seen that has addressed some of those inadequacies that you thought, oh, this is something new, I haven't seen it in the last 20 years, and this is really going to change the way that we make healthcare accessible? Several years ago, Choosing Wisely was put out by the American Board of Internal Medicine. How do you tell doctors what are five tests or treatments that are antiquated? They're not good. So it's been known that we need fewer x-rays. We need fewer lab tests. We need fewer drugs. But make sure they're the right drugs for the person. 
how do you integrate all the different types of providers? So how do you integrate a physical therapist with a, a social worker, with a family practitioner, with a geriatrician for older people? How do you get this so that it's an integrated team approach rather than just an individual approach? That will require a whole paradigm shift for all of us as a collective, as a society. I think most of us think of healthcare as something that we only need in an emergency if we are sick, right? We don't think about it, like you said. You're, you're absolutely correct. And also, we have to find the right balance between innovative technology with a purpose, which is coming on board because right. some of it is absolutely spectacular and some of it is market-driven, okay? How do we deal with what normally is called as artificial intelligence or machine learning? And now how do you get that into augmented intelligence? So we really have a purpose. So the data makes sense. Let's change track a little bit. What is the cost of inequitable health care when good care is only affordable for the few? Well, you're asking a very heavy question. I can give you broad statistics on that. The average family in this country is obligated to pay over $14,000 for health care. And it's going up at the rate of about 5 to 7% a year now. So $14,000 a year yeah. we're spending on health care right. per family. Right. But then, even with Obamacare, there are many people who have to pay a high base for it and a high co-deductible. So it's not something that's transparent. Probably even a more cardinal question in our society is health care a right or a privilege? In my belief, it's a basic right for all. And I think it should be means tested. So I think if you have extra money, you should pay into it. Mm -hmm. But everyone should get a baseline. And keep in mind, we are one of very few industrial countries that doesn't make it a right. Mm -hmm. It's a privilege. And when you look at the statistics, our quality amongst industrial countries is about 12th to 14th. We're not at the top tier. There should be some ways where we don't have to spend 20% of our gross domestic product on healthcare. We don't have to spend over 30% of our federal budget on it. So we're spending well into the $3 trillion on total healthcare. With that, we have fraud probably of almost $100 billion a year. We have inefficiencies and profiteering if one looks at the reimbursement for some of the executives in healthcare. It can be $290 million a year to be CEO of a major health insurance provider. When people say Medicare for all, and you've just discussed that there's Medicare fraud and that we spend all this money, how, how does that work? What's your opinion on this idea of having single payer for everyone? In principle, single payer for all should be the case. However, there's an underlying question that is really quite powerful. How's it going to get paid for? And who is getting the money and who isn't getting money? And is it just access or is it also addressing quality and cost? So I think what I would do is I would have pilot projects on it and start it and try it out. You have to find places where you can bring the different players together, where there's cross-sector collaboration between the paying mechanisms, whether it's Medicare, Medicaid, whether it's the private insurance market, where you're bringing in the people to represent themselves, either through themselves or through their elected or public officials. There are examples where that's happening. Recently in the state of Utah, 
the University of Utah had a health policy symposium, and they had over 250 people that represented all the different vested interest groups, from women to United Way to pharma to the health systems to the providers, and they're beginning to have a discussion. That's pretty exciting. And they also use media to tell the story. So people get exposure to what is occurring and doing what you're doing. You're asking people to express themselves and get engaged and be part of the solution, not just talk about the problems. Learn the issues. Health, healthcare is complex. Get involved with people who you respect and appreciate that you may not be totally in line with their position. See where the lessons learned are and the experiences and see where you can engage based on your local culture because healthcare has a local basis to it with a different ethnicity in one community to another. So don't think what's done in New Jersey and Short Hills is the same thing that can be done in Santa Fe, New Mexico. We have the examples of European countries, let's say Norway, that have essentially universal health care. And I think it worked pretty well over there. How does that not serve as a model for this country? Well, it's an excellent model, but you also have to understand cardinal differences. Norway is generally homogeneous in its ethnicity. It has an economics based on the oil that's drilled off there. That's, they got extra money. And they probably have less of the extreme that America has now. So America has a society that the rich are getting richer. The tax situations help the rich. And the poor are getting poorer. And the millennials are looking for definition. Where do they fit in? And who's listening to them? Because they don't want to be considered patients. They want to be considered individuals. And right. it's very important that you use the words that communicate. Because if you're using a 70-year-old jargon on a 30-year-old person, you got a gap. Well, so when you think about millennials, I don't think, though, that they're looking for something entirely different when it comes to good health care. They still want to be well taken care of, meaning that they have good access to high-quality care. And if anything, my impression is, by and large, it's very trendy to be healthy. You're absolutely correct. However, having two millennials in my own life, they're also very concerned about where they're going to make the money to pay for the service. They find it hard to find housing now. So housing is costing them way too much out of their income. And with that, they don't want to spend it on health care. Let's talk about the politics, because the reality is it's the politics that will change the structural issues that we have. Those won't change unless we engage in the politics and vote for the people who we think stand for the system that we're looking for. Since we are now approaching the midterm election, what should we be looking for from our candidates in terms of talking points around health care and health care reform? That's a great question. One, I wouldn't just use a one-line slogan, universal health care for all. I would say we need a more efficient, effective health delivery system that encompasses all of us. And we're going to finance it by doing ABC. We're going to make this issue maybe more local and state and bring in the federals for an oversight on regulations. We're going to make sure we have the right amount of providers in our community. We're going to make sure that we put more emphasis on prevention. We're not just going to talk about access to health care. We're going to talk about quality and cost. And we're also going to talk, in my opinion, about personal responsibility. Because I don't think it should be all left to the private or the public sector. I think it's left, in part, to you, the person. 
that you're more educated on the issue, that the information you get is transparent, that you trust the speakers, and that there's a variety of people that you're listening to and also who you're talking to. So I think these politicians who are running should listen to what your views are. Change doesn't come easy. Usually change, unfortunately, happens in crisis. So the National Health Service in England occurred during World War II. The blood transfusion program occurred during the Spanish Civil War. Right now, we're either in the best of all times with all the new technology and all the new knowledge we have and all the new care, or we're in the worst of all times because of climate change, lack of public health, fires, air and water pollution, epidemic, Zika virus, Ebola virus. So it's a time to be energized for positive change. What are the questions that we're not asking ourselves right now in order for us to demand the care that we deserve because it's our right and also to actually achieve that, meaning figuring out a way to deliver? Ask yourself, where do you fit into the equation? What role do you see yourself in? Two, what's your community like and who can you relate to in your community? Three, where is the prioritization of the issues in your community? Is there enough programs to deal with the opiate crisis? Is there a sufficient amount of help for senior citizens working through this? So just try to prioritize. How do you go out and strengthen the integration of the services and the systems? How do you develop communities where there's greater sense of health and equity? And how do you develop sharing health as a value for all? So you have to get engaged, but you find your own space that you're comfortable with. Don't think you can take it all on because it's pretty complex, comprehensive, and unfortunately at times adversarial. What brought you to this field? How did you get excited about public health? I'm a product of two parents who were born overseas. They came here and they grew up with very little extra, but they were able to get educations. I grew up in the 60s, heavily involved with the change that was occurring there, whether it was civil rights, whether it was anti-war, the like. I then went into the public health service and traveled around this country, seeing different work sites and problems that existed there. And throughout my entire career, whether I was a clinician, was in academia, was in the health delivery side of the equation or the political side of the equation, I always had this thing that if you worked, you could commit and do better. And fortunately, I was given the opportunities of doing this. So right at this stage of my life, I still have a passion to see respected change. And for me, it's like a dream coming true of, in a holistic way to be a part of a team, be a part of the we, to make it so something tangible can happen. And let's do it with a spirit of hope, not despair. Oh, I like that. Looking into the future, what gives you hope? Oh, I think giving me hope is as basic as what we're doing today communicating with more people and having them be responsive to the discussion. The project we're doing in Salt Lake City, we're putting on the Healthier Rural Summit next March 19th through 21st. We chose that date because that's the first day of spring. And we're doing it in a collective sense and bringing in people who normally don't talk to each other. I'm sure there will be other places. And if we're successful there, it could be a healthier rural south or a healthier Appalachia or a healthier wherever. Other people have equally, if maybe not more exciting programs. How do we learn from one another? It's all predicated that we, you and I and others remain in good health, are energized to keep going on. 
And there will be good days and there'll be some days that aren't as good and you just move forward. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's no surprise that health is an ecosystem that encompasses personal health and access to high-quality health care, as well as issues like housing, transportation, education, and the environment. It turns out that in some instances, the impediment to high-quality health care is something that may not be directly related to the field of medicine. But things like distance to the nearest medical center, lack of broadband, or a shortage of a certain type of medical specialist. Addressing all of these requires us to take part and hear each other's ideas out, share past experiences, and find culturally appropriate solutions in each community. We can engage along many options of the ecosystem that contribute to healthy living. Wherever we decide to get engaged on this issue, we need to remember that healthcare is a right. If we can all agree on this, then it will be easier to share health as a value for all and achieve a greater sense of health and equity. How can we have a more representative government that includes Latino voices? On the next episode of Future Hindsight, our guest is Cristobal Alex. He's the president of Latino Victory Fund, an organization that is dedicated to making sure Latino voices are heard by empowering Latino voters, developing a pipeline of Latino donors, and developing Latino candidates. What we do is recruit candidates. Uh, we try to provide them with the tools that they need to win. Um, and then we do everything we can to get them over the finish line. Until next time, I'm Mila Atmos. Thank you for listening to Future Hindsight. The executive producer and host of this program is Mila Atmos. The audio producer and music composer is Peter Fedak. The associate producer is Miriam Tsumbu. Find us online at futurehindsight.com and listen to us through your favorite streaming services. Music